When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coach Prime versus the Doubters. One of my favorite games to play in this college football season. Oklahoma is going to be living on Tulsa time. And we're going to get to my top five true freshmen going into week three. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, got to talk about Colorado versus Colorado State in the Rocky Mountain Showdown, and I have more receipts to share. We're going to get to some of our biggest games of the week that include Big Noon, Penn State, and Illinois going at it again. The University of Tennessee has something to prove against the University of Florida and my top five true freshmen going into week three of this college football season. But first, Ohio State head coach Ryan Day had a very important announcement today. Who's the starting quarterback? (laughs) Are we doing two questions? Yeah. So um, after you know, reviewing the film, you know, we've decided that, that Kyle's going to be the starter um, and that, you know, make that distinction. Um, we still plan on playing Devin, but we feel like Kyle has, has really stepped up to, to, and deserves to be the starter. There it is. Ryan Day has said that Kyle McCord is the starting quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes going into week three. They got the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Get to that here in just a minute, but this kind of went the way that I thought it was going to go, and really the way that you probably thought it was going to go. It felt like it was Kyle McCord's job to lose as soon as C.J. Stroud declared for the NFL draft, and that is the way it has gone. So what does this mean for Ohio State? It means that everybody can rally behind McCord in a very real way if they hadn't already, and it also means that we finally get to see the McCord to Martian connection kind of blossom into the thing that I think it can be. I'm a big fan of quarterbacks and wide receivers getting to play together no matter where they are. I'm thinking about Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow at LSU and now with the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm also thinking about Tua Tonga-Valoa and Jalen Waddell down at Miami playing for the Dolphins. And of course, we can go back to McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr. who played together at St. Joe's Prep in Philly and are now going to play as starters at The Ohio State University. Really cool for this relationship to continue to grow. And it looked good last week against Youngstown State. You'll know that Marvin Harrison Jr. had seven receptions for 160 yards with two tutties in the first half. Now, I understand that everybody wants to say this time of year that ain't nobody played nobody, which is true for most, but you still played somebody because everybody works as hard as you do during the offseason to prepare football games. And it's about, are you talented enough to go out there and get W's? So what did this mean for McCord versus Brown in the future? Well, 
I kind of think that Ryan Day was always showing his hand, right? It wasn't really the battle that we thought it was going to be. And when we thought he, what we thought he meant when he said that you were going to see both quarterbacks is that both guys are probably going to start the game against Indiana and the game against Youngstown State. And maybe he has a guy by Western Kentucky. But the way this actually went, McCord took the majority of snaps. He had 89 snaps to Devin Brown's 39. And he played 61 and 67 against Indiana. Again, it's it's ridiculous in that he attempted three times as many passes as Devin Brown. So whatever it is that Ryan Day was looking for out of Devin Brown, I hope he got to show it in practice because we didn't get to see it in the game. Again, it's nice to have that guy on your depth chart, and certainly he's going to be a great option for them. And I think Ryan Day is telling us exactly what he wants to happen by saying we're going to get Devin Brown some opportunities to play later in the year. I think they will because one of the things that Day has been adamant about basically – since Justin Fields went off to the NFL is his backups didn't really get enough opportunities to run the offense. Matter of fact, when they were going into the quarterback derby, when CJ Stroud was up against Jack Miller for the job, he was kind of remiss that he did not get those guys opportunities to throw the football during the season. And then he went about trying to correct that almost immediately. So CJ Stroud won the job, but you saw Kyle McCord start against Akron last year, get meaningful snaps going into this year as a guy who started football games. I think we could see something like that down the road, but I don't know that it's going to be the way it was for Kyle McCord last year because, well, your non-conference part of the schedule is about over and you got Notre Dame in a couple of weeks, which is the other reason why you need to get the starting quarterback position nailed down. But before Ohio State gets to Notre Dame in what should be a top 10 showdown, Western Kentucky travels to the shoe and the Hilltoppers, Ain't no easy win. Now, I know it is a group of five team, and I know that you don't believe, and neither do I, that Western Kentucky should be talented enough to really challenge Ohio State. As we'll talk about a little bit later, ask Austin P what they think about challenging the University of Tennessee. So Western Kentucky also feels what I think is one of the great quarterbacks in the sport that nobody talks about in Austin Reed, who also threw for an FBS best 4,746 yards last year. They will move the ball. They will score points. They put up 45 in a win last week, and they put up 50 or last week against South Florida, and they put up 52 against Houston Christian in their opener the week before. So you're going to see Jim Knowles' defense actually have to show up in a meaningful way, and we're probably going to get a good read on that secondary because we know the Hilltoppers are going to try to take the top off the defense early and often, and they're never going to actually be out of the game as long as the offense is on the field. So expect to see a lot of running the football from Ohio State and asking Kyle McCord to take advantage of those one-on-one opportunities when they got Marvin Harrison Jr. out there for those one-on-ones, or even Emeka Buka, even Julian Fleming. I keep doing down the list. Cade Stover's turned out to be an outstanding pass-catching option, too. All right, let's go from Ohio State versus Western Kentucky to another top 25 matchup. That is Colorado State at number 18, Colorado. And as you know by now, Coach Prime's Colorado is my favorite subject to talk about right here on the number one college football show for a number of reasons. Let's start with this one, which I don't think we get enough run on here is black folks has decided that that's our team. Like we were showing out at the Nebraska game. I saw Wu-Tang Clan out there. You know what I'm saying? I just, my God, I saw Cameron on the sidelines, right? Michael Irvin out there, Stephen A out there, Shannon out there, Uncle Shay Shay himself. It is an event to go to a Colorado football game. And I don't know that that's ever been true. 
Like we are all looking at Colorado going, yo, when did Hollywood just up and move? When did L.A. up and move to Boulder? And it is almost as soon as Coach Prime got there. And it is not because it's Coach Prime out there so much as Coach Prime winning football games out there. Look, they got dudes like we haven't seen them before. Now, I was way ahead on this because I like HBCU football. I was raised around it for crying out loud. And I was following this Jackson State story from the jump, right? So when I made Shador Sanders one of my top hiking candidates going into the offseason, people were asking, yo, are you high? Is something wrong with you, RJ? This dude played at Jackson State last year saying, I, I watch ball. I watch ball. You watch ball. If you watch ball, you would have seen it too. You would have seen a man who was going to throw for 900 plus yards in his first two games. By the way, there are only two programs in the sport who opened their seasons with back-to-back Power 5 opponents and went 2-0. One of them is Utah, who won the Pac-12 championship the last two years in a row and played in the Rose Bowl the last two years in a row. And the other one, right there in Boulder. It goes by Colorado Buffalo. I'm telling you, they're hitting on something different out there in Boulder. And in the Rocky Mountain Showdown, I think it's the first time they're actually going to play this game in four years, they're going to get, I think, an opportunity to show out once again. Redshirt freshman quarterback Braden Fowler Nicole, uh, Nicolosi, excuse me, is going to get the start over Clay Millen. I watched Clay Millen and Braden against Washington State. Neither one of them look great, but Braden looks great when he is throwing a rhythm coming out of Alito, Texas. I really like him as a quarterback. I think Jay Norvell is going to have something cooking, just not necessarily against Colorado. Also, shout out to Jay Norvell, who was once an OC at Oklahoma and who I got to know when I was an undergrad, always been kind to me. And I'm sure he is rooting for Colorado every week, but this one when they got to go play them. I'm also looking at what Colorado has done, right? And we are throwing out all these statistics. You are seeing people that did not know where Colorado was or wouldn't have talked about Colorado before the season started, telling you how many snaps that Travis Hunter is playing. Okay. Like everybody's trying to get they they piece now. And I need you to keep track of who was on this. And who is interloping on this? We'll get to the bandwagoners here in just a little bit, but let's talk a little bit about what this turnaround means for Colorado and how cool it is. Like, I wrote a story that you can read on foxsports.com about what I thought were some great examples, and I mentioned them on Sunday. Like, Miami going of Ohio going 1-11 2009 and then flipping around to win 10 games in 2010. My Oklahoma Sooners went 7-5 and five in 1999. And then they won the national championship in 2000. Tulane, 2-10 two and 10 and 21, won 12 games, 22, beat USC in the Cotton Bowl to seal what was a magical season for them. And then nobody has been like Texas Christian. 5-7 and seven in 2021, change the staff, go into the portal, come out, 12 wins, and playing for the national championship game just 10, uh, in the national championship game just 10 months ago. But the thing that really bothers me about all of this is these are not the comparisons that many people are pulling out when they talk about Colorado. Matter of fact, they're only comparisons that people were pulling out in the last two weeks when talking about Colorado, because many people thought that Colorado was going to be this sports Bishop Sycamore. Like somehow Coach Prime was going to leave Jackson State to be booty and boo boo in Boulder. I, I, look at you now. Look, 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 look at you now. Hmm? Hmm? I'm telling you, I just just wipe my nose with that stuff. But I need to talk about this in a very real way. Okay, because there are media types who doubted Colorado. Cool. All right, fine. Some of us, that's our job, right? Our job is to give you an opinion about who we think is good and why we think they're good. And then to give that supporting evidence, right? It's called a thesis, right? 
this is me coming through as a guy who was studying to get a PhD in English at Oklahoma State, but you're going to forgive the English professor and me for a second here because I don't think you can have an opinion without great argument and facts to report your arguments. A lot of people in my job seem to think that that's the job. You just throw it out there and you don't back it up with any sort of data. But I'm going to come to you with some receipts here, right? The Athletic did a cool thing over the summer. They talked to Power 5 head coaches, assistants, and staffers about what they thought Coach Prime and Colorado were going to look like in May. So you'd seen some of the makeover already happen. You'd seen guys be asked, you know, uh, to leave or even told that they're not going to get their scholarships renewed. And then they go into the portal and they get new guys, right? But I found some of these quotes were just ridiculous at the time. And they sound even more ridiculous now. Now, you can say ridiculous things anonymously, and that's what many of these people did, right? But still, they said them. And these aren't just people that are media types, right? All the people I'm about to quote for you work in the sport, are responsible for positivity and roster management in the sport, should know what it looks like when winning is on the table, right? Also, another way of saying you should really be asking these questions of the folks that run your favorite college football program. So there's a Pac-12 director of player personnel who questioned whether Colorado would even have enough warm bodies for scholarships at all. He said, my concern is the rapid hemorrhaging of personnel within specific position rooms. I'm sorry, what? Have you have you seen the depth that they have out there? Xavier Weaver at wide receiver, along with Travis Hunter, along with Jimmy Horn. Have you seen them go three deep at tailback without Alton McCaskill, right? Have you seen how those guys on the secondary get swapped in and out, how the defensive line gets swapped in and out? Seems like that question has been answered. I don't know where that's coming from, but they're talking about high volume personnel. Yeah, them dudes is in shape. Maybe you are unfamiliar with strength and conditioning coordinator Mo Sims's work because he had them dudes all offseason and he gave them back hungry and raring to go. A Big 12 director player personnel believe the sheer number of players who left or were asked to leave was too high to expect Prime to succeed. My goodness. Check this quote out. It's just absolutely unreasonable to think you can sign 25 out of the spring transfer portal and make your team better unless they are players that were just bad, which I don't buy. In the end, is the sum of twenty new of 25 new guys going to be greater than the sum of 25 old guys? Man, I don't know. Well, let's do the math right quick. He brought in 86 new players. More than 50 of them are transfers. But 22, right, grad transfers, and 14 of those 22 start on the offensive and defensive side of the balls. It feels like you can't do it. So since you can't do it, you're telling me that Prime can't do it. Man, if that is not just the kind of cockamamie boo-boo that I am so used to hearing. Look, another Power 5 director of football operations straight up questioned whether or not Prime could recruit without offering NIL money. Straight up saying he can't recruit. Can't recruit without a big pocketbook. The quote here, people can say what they want, but with NIL, for him to get legit dudes, he's got to have real money. No, that's patently false. Number one. He got a five-star and the number one player in his class to come to Jackson State, which ain't got no money. Ain't got no money to spend. At one point in time, Prime's coming out of his own pocket to make sure those dudes got what they need. All right? He don't need no money to be good at coaching football, and he certainly doesn't need to offer money to get players to want to be coached by him. That's why Travis Hunter was there. He wanted to be like prime that's why he's there matter of fact i thought this was one of the coolest uh, 
quotes that I've heard Prime give, and he's given a lot of cool quotes when we talk about what people are capable of and why, right? And it was in recruiting Travis Hunter. You don't recruit the player. You find out what is special about him, what makes him him, and you recruit that. You recruit obsession. I'm obsessed with being very good, with being the best at being the national college football analyst. You can ask the crew about it. I am always on. I don't care about much more than this show right here because somebody somewhere wants the job too. That is what drives Travis Hunter. That is what drives Prime. Also, Prime ain't interested in doing anything he ain't good at. It's a man who has played, the only man in human history played in the World Series and the Super Bowl who said, hey, look, any sport where you can fail 70% of the time and make the Hall of Fame, that's a hard sport. He would say it himself. Look, when when you get football, you get prime time. You get Neon Dion. When you get the baseball, you just get Dion. And I love that because that is a man who is tremendously self-aware and knows what he is great at and what he is good at and chooses to be great. The thing about the Travis Hunter thing that really bothers me is on my show right here, Prime said when he was at Jackson State about Travis Hunter, and I'm going, are you going to let him go both ways? He said, first, Travis has to be dominant on one side of the ball. I got to see that he is dominant on one side of the ball. And by the end of the 2022 season, he had been sufficiently convinced that Hunter was dominant as a corner. He didn't play that many snaps at Jackson State as a wide receiver. Only had 18 catches, right, last year, if you're paying attention. Going into this year, he said, yeah, I think that dude is dominant as a cornerback, and he's allowed like three catches in two games, right? That he could be dominant as a wide receiver, and he's doing that just now because when they're on third and longs, guess who Shadour Sanders is looking for? It's Travis Hunter, right? We keep going down the line here. What I find to be most appalling of all the quotes that the Athletic got in their excellent reporting, a Power 5 coach stopped short of calling Prime's approach foolhardy, but then insinuated that Prime's success might ruin the sport. Maybe he's on to something, the quote starts. Then again, I'm not sure it would be good for college football. Because if Dion is on to something, it'll be bad for other kids on other rosters because then a lot of other people will try and copy it. Let's purge the entire roster and start over. You mean like Texas Christian? Who went five and seven and was bad? Got a chance to go into the portal, get guys like Johnny Hodges? Imani Bailey, Josh Newton, all dudes who are playing for them right now, Jerry Wiley. You mean like USC, who went four and eight, got a new head coach, brought in a great quarterback who won the Heisman, Caleb Williams, won 11 games their first year? You mean like that? You're, you're telling me that what Prime is doing at Colorado is going to ruin the sport because he's doing something that you can't? Hey, man. That sounds like you got a problem with yourself that you need to go talk to somebody about, but that ain't Prime's problem. That ain't Colorado's problem. That ain't college football's problem. The rules are the rules. And that he is playing within them and beating y'all up, that's something you got to work out. Maybe you need to go and, and talk to somebody about that. Maybe you need to be on your knees a little bit more, right? Go to church, figure out what's good in your life, right? Go go consult your Bible. But you don't need to be talking about how prime is ruining the sport. If anything, people care more about college football this year than they have in years past because the last two years, you know what I heard the most of? Hey, RJ, why do I need to care about a sport where Georgia's just going to sun everybody? Hey, RJ, why do I need to care about a sport where all I need to know is that my dude went to Alabama or he didn't for my NFL team? Now I got folks that deign to come off their NFL Sunday perches to talk about my sport and what I care about and what I was raised to love. 
And then I got people that are actually responsible for the well-being of players telling me that somehow Prime and his excellence is going to ruin what they – man, get out of here. I'm telling you, right? This is a really interesting time, really interesting time. I'm going to bring it back here, but follow me here. Walter Isaacson wrote this biography of Elon Musk, you know, SpaceX, Tesla, Twitter. And I found this quote to be very telling because Walter Isaacson basically writes huge biographies about geniuses, right? Benjamin Franklin, Steve Jobs. I got them all on my shelf because I'm that type, right? The quote is, the question for a biography is to show how the demons of a person are totally connected to the drive that gets their rockets to orbit. People who are driven by demons get stuff done. Now, I am such a person, so I recognize it when other people have it. Work ethic does not come from want to and effort. Work ethic comes from needing to survive. I recognize someone who has this notion that if they do not reach where they are going, that they will not survive. And when I see that in a player, when I see that in a coach, I bet on them because I bet on myself. All right. The reason that I got here is because a number of people saw that in me, too. Right. I'm in an efficiency apartment where my bathroom and my bedroom are in the same place. And I'm making videos on the YouTubes for the peoples because I needed this to work. I had to chase it. This is what I have decided my life is about. Why the hell would you doubt somebody who was willing to risk all to get what they need, not what they want, what they need? Prime needs Colorado to be great. And those players need to be great at Colorado. This bravado, this flash, this confidence, it is not unearned. And that is your folly. When you go play against that sort of a team, that's what you need to bring. You need to bring the notion that, no, 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 there is not anything that this person will not try to do to win. So if it comes down to them suffering or me suffering, I better be worrying about suffering more and less about what the hell it is they're doing. I'm really excited to see how this translates to Colorado State this weekend and then later to Oregon and USC. But right now, go ahead, take stock. Understand what's going on at Colorado is different. Acknowledge that it is different. And let's ride the wave, right? Because I'm not going to put a ceiling on this. Seven and a half wins, eight wins. I don't give a damn. My job is to tell the story to tell you why it's working, why it wasn't working, and what you should expect. Anybody that's putting a cap on what Prime and Colorado are doing has an agenda of their own. I, for one, am excited and all in on watching how this story unfolds. All right, let's go from Colorado and Colorado State to the big noon game, number seven, Penn State at Illinois. Again, noon Eastern on Fox. I don't expect this one to be close, and I expect it to be over quite soon. Illinois did not look great against Toledo and won that game on a wing and a prayer. As I watched Luke Altmaier get absolutely waylaid, throw a duck, that duck landed in Illinois players' hands, and they won the game. But Toledo was right there, okay? Penn State, on the other hand, their season is going to be defined by two games. And I'm sorry to tell Illini fans, this ain't one of them, okay? Those two games are Ohio State and Michigan. That's it. That is the bar. For Nittany Lions fans, because they know what they have. 
They have a talented quarterback in Drew Aller. They have two talented running backs in Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. They're great at the wide receiver position, Keandre Landry-Smith and Dante Cephas. And Manny Diaz's defense is doing what it did last year. They've allowed just 22 points all season. Now, granted, one of those teams is West Virginia, who might be the worst team in the Big 12. And the other one, I don't know what you're going to learn out of beating up on Delaware and the blue hands of the, the fighting Joe Flacco's, but they did it 63 to seven. Right. And now they get back to big 10 beatings. And I feel like that's going to be Illinois this time. It should that be no, no overtimes that, 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 that's not a good look for you, Penn state. You need to be able to put this one away rather early. Also shouts to drew Aller who has not thrown a pick yet. Now is Luke Altmaier capable? Absolutely. They unlocked a new part of that man's game against Kansas. That dude leads the team in rushing because he was running for his life from Kansas. Kansas, on a Friday night, said, no, Illini, it is our turn to take you to the woodshed. And that is what Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal and them boys did. I was so excited for Lance Leipold's squad, not just because they were beating up on Illinois, but because Lance was over there looking like, all right, cool. Like, it, it was, he expected them to, to go out and purport themselves like that rock chalk, and they went out and whopped. Like, I'm excited for Kansas football, but I watched Illinois going, ooh, this might be a rough year because this is a program that is not built to outscore people. Brett Bielema wants to run the football and play sound defense. Already, they're probably having to throw the football more often than he wants to. And certainly, they're not showing that they're playing the kind of defense that they did when Ryan Walters was coordinator last year, and he's since become head coach at Purdue. So we shall see. But giving up 31 a game, that ain't going to help you, Illinois. Penn State. Do what we expect you to do. Show us you're the number seven team in the country. All right, on to number 11, Tennessee at Florida. Tennessee is only favored by six and a half in this game. Is it a trap game? This is a good question, right? Because I watched Tennessee's game against Austin Peay, and I saw a number of things for what, for which I think they can correct. I also see why Vols fans are upset, right? A, Austin P threw the kitchen sink at Tennessee in the first drive. I saw a double a double pass. Right. I saw them run the polecat. I saw them run five wide receivers to one side. I saw them go from four to two with Mike DeLillo rumbling, bubbling, stumbling for 45 yards instead of for a field goal. And then I watch Joe, Joe Milton start the game one for eight, not because he was inaccurate, but because he's throwing howitzers at these dudes and they can't catch him. Joe, you got to throw a catchable football. I, we all know Bazooka Joe lives. Right. But if Brew McCoy and Squirrel can't catch the football, you're not helping yourself, my dude. Like, they got to be able to wrap their hands around it so they can make them yards after play for you. Now, also in there, Jalen Wright makes that team go. They were running this, man, they run 25 and 26 trap like it was going out of style against Austin P because they get it blocked up and then Jalen would go do his damn thing. And eventually Joe Milton found his way 11 to 12. They scored their first t- touchdown in the last 15 seconds of the first half. And then... They scored their second touchdown in the first 90 seconds of the second half, right? Game ends 30 to 13, but again, Austin P wanted it. Like head coach is calling timeouts right as Josh Heupel's hyperspeed offense is getting going. He's challenging stuff. He's yelling on the sidelines. Austin P and the governors were selling out to beat Tennessee. And you still drop 30 of them. And they only scored 13. Calm down, volunteers fans. I think you're going to be okay. Because I'm also looking at a Florida team that got beat by Utah. And it's not that they got beat by Utah so much as they got beat by Utah without Cam Rising. Baylor damn near upset Utah without Cam Rising. You see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Same Baylor team that ain't had Blake Shapin, their starting quarterback, and lost to Texas State. Okay? 
I don't know how much you expect me to give you, you know, an applause for beating up on McNeese State 49-7. Matter of fact, I don't know what you can learn by beating up on a quarterback in an offense for which McNeese State, okay, put it another way. Quarterback at McNeese State went 14 of 45 against Tarleton State. 14 of 45 against the Texans. And you want me to give you an attaboy for beating them up in the swamp? I'm not doing it. I'm not I'm not doing it. Now, that said, Montreal Johnson, he got it going on. Trevor Etienne, he got it going on too. Maybe there is a side to Overland Park, Kansas's own Graham Mertz that I just ain't seen yet. Because I know Ricky Pearsall can get it done, right? And they got some dudes on defense, but I think that all Tennessee has to do is get into something like a rhythm because that is not an offense that's going to score with Tennessee. There aren't a whole lot of offenses that are going to score with Tennessee. So you only need Tim Banks' defense to come up here and there, and they will. Aaron Beasley's a dude. Like, at one point, I'm watching that game. He had 11 tackles in the third quarter and two sacks. In the, by the third quarter. He also should have had a fumble recovery that was overturned. Uh, this game was all over the place. Again, this is why we watch football games. Like, I watch them, right? So I can give you a really good opinion because I'm not pulling this out of my behind. And I'm certainly not just reading the stats. Watch the football games and you'll see this, right? So I don't think this is a trap game. I understand if you're a Volunteers fan, it's Tennessee, uh, it's Tennessee and it's Florida. And I understand you feel some kind of way about Florida, but not for nothing. We all feel some kind of way about Florida. Okay. I'm an Oklahoma fan, 2008. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. I was here for Chris Leak and I didn't know this dude Tebow. And then I learned that Tim Tebow apparently uh, existed when Chris Leak won that NAS championship 2006. We all got something against Florida. That's what I'm saying, right? But if Tennessee went down there, and gave the Gator stomp, I would not be surprised. Now, I lost this was interesting. I got this from producer Tyler. <laughs> Tennessee ain't been to Gainesville in one since 2003. So maybe y'all feeling some kind of way about not having to sit on that for 20 years. I get it. I get it. But again, Florida lost season over 24-11. And they outgained Utah 346-270. They also had, they had the ball. And they were one of 13 on third down. I think that you're going to have to score every time you have the rock if you are Florida. And if you're Tennessee, just don't give the ball back so quickly. Because at one point, I'm looking at the Austin P game, and I look down. Tennessee hadn't even had the ball as long as the current drive that I was watching was going on for Austin P. Like, the drive lasts like 639, ended in three points, and Tennessee had the ball 546. Now, that's the nature of the offense, but I'm saying, if you go three and out quickly— I guarantee you Billy Napier is going to sit on the football because that's what I would do. I would sit on the football. Why would I want to give the ball back to Joe Milton and Jalen Wright and Brew McCoy? I wouldn't want to do that. I would never want to do that. Now, how important is this for Billy Napier's tenure at Florida? I don't think, I mean, every SEC game is important for an SEC coach, right? But I don't think that's what we're asking here. I think what we're asking here is if he beats Tennessee, do Florida fans feel better about him going into 2024? Absolutely. If he gets stumped out by Tennessee, well, they might have the opposite kind of opinion. Now, also in there, I think this is interesting. Joe Milton has yet to throw an interception in his last 233 pass attempts. Somehow, Josh Heupel put together the kind of offense that Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton can both be almost perfect, right? Like, it was a long time before we saw Hooker throw an interception. It might be a long time before we see Joe Milton run, throw an interception as well. And we're talking about 20 TDs since then, and we're talking about leading them to the Orange Bowl. So I'm excited for this one, but I just think Tennessee is a good football team, and they should go and win this game in the Swamp. All right, let's go to number 19, Oklahoma at Tulsa. The RJ Bowl. 
I'm so excited about this one because it's down the road from where I am right now. It's at my alma mater. I went to grad school at Oklahoma. I covered Oklahoma when I first got, got started in this thing. And I've been covering college football for half my life. I started writing about sports at the University of Tulsa. And I got a nephew playing on the two deep at N. Shout out Owen Ostrowski at the University of Tulsa. And I got 29 kiddos on both rosters. I got 29 kiddos from the Tulsa metro area who are playing at either Oklahoma or Tulsa. And I'm talking about Tulsa Public Schools represented. We got Regent Prep and Owasso represented out here. Yo, we got Metro Christian out here. We got Holland Hall out here, Union. My goodness, I saw two Booker T's from each side. I was so astonished. And then we got Edison out here. I'm about to be on. I'm about to be on, right? Not to mention Kevin Wilson was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma when I was an undergrad. And Oklahoma came down in 08 and stomped out Tulsa. Like, I'm a cheerleader on the sideline, right? And at halftime, Oklahoma's up 14-7. And... I'm the dude on, on the squad that knows football. So I got cheerleaders who were going, yo, RJ, we we could win this. We could win this. Like, nah, you just pissed them off. That, that's all. They, they're about to go in there. Bob about to tear everybody a new ass on a speech, and, and that's going to be all she wrote. And it was. Lost game 63-14. Okay. It, 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 it might, might be similar. Might be similar. But maybe not. I say might be similar because if, if Braylon Braxton don't play quarterback at the University of Tulsa this weekend – I don't, I don't, I don't see how uh, how Oklahoma's going to have to respect anything passing related. Like I saw Cardell, he's a great runner, but that's what he was doing against UAPB. I don't see Roman Wilson as the dude, right? We would want it Braylon to come back because Braylon can sling it, but if you're starting quarterback ain't out there and it's Kevin Wilson's offense, yeah, you really one dimensional. Now maybe they know something I don't, but I'm gonna be here for it. Not to mention that Oklahoma's defense has been kind of filthy the last couple of weeks, like. Gave up zero against Arkansas State. Gave up 11 against Southern Methodist. Danny Stutzman had 17 tackles last week. Yeah, they own something different at Oklahoma. It's also a little bit hard to nail them down as to how good this team is going to be or not going to be. And I don't think we're going to have a real read on that until Oklahoma plays Texas because we know how good Texas is now. Right. But I feel good about either one of those teams. And hopefully, hopefully. The kiddos that are from the Tulsa area can show out in a huge way. I want everybody to see the field. This is one of those things that you dream about if you grow up here because this game doesn't get played as often as you might think, right? Bedlam was every year till the end of this year. This is a game that happens in Tulsa like every seven years, right? So you really got to be born at the right time to go play in this game, let alone have a kid who plays in this game. So all the parents that listen to the show, I'm with you. You got my whole heart. I'm going to be coming unglued no matter what happens, right? Because somebody is going to be let down. Somebody's going to be raised up. And I'm going to have my arms around both of them because Tulsa men, I love y'all. And Tulsa boys, absolutely smack. Man, just the third sellout at H.A. Chapman since 2008. I graduated 2010. That's how long it's been. All right, let's go to number eight, Washington at Michigan State. Now, Michigan State's going to head into this game with Harlan Barnett as the acting head coach and... Mark D'Antonio has come out of retirement to assist as an associate head coach, but I don't think that's going to necessarily matter because Washington's really good. Uh, Washington also played the University of Tulsa just last week. And uh, yeah, they went about the way you might expect it to go. Michael Penix Jr. threw for over 400 yards. Washington put up 560 yards of offense. Uh, Washington's averaging 49 and a half a game. 
Michael Penix Jr. is averaging 429 and a half pass in a game. Roma Dunsey and my goodness, Jalen McMillan are just one of the two best. Well, yeah, I think one of the two best tandems at wide receiver in the sport. And I expect them to go straight at that uh, Michigan State secondary that Scotty Hazelton just hasn't got to click right away. Now, I also think that this game being at Michigan State at this moment is regrettable, uh, but it sucks to talk about, right? It sucks to talk about because Mel Tucker is suspended indefinitely, right? His suspension was announced by interim Michigan State president uh, on Sunday, and the reason that they gave for his suspension was unprofessional behavior and not living up to the core values of the department and the university, you can read from that statement that he's suspended because they learned that there are allegations of sexual harassment against uh, Mel Tucker from Brenda Tracy, who is a prominent uh, rape survivor and educator of young men about how they can purport themselves in and around women as football players. We're talking about cisgender football players. Uh, most of the point, most point, most importantly here, I. I can get into this in that it seems like the Michigan State brass did not know about Mel Tucker, the, the details of the allegations leveled at Mel Tucker until ESPN and USA Today broke the news late Sunday or early Sunday morning, I should say late Saturday night. And they were reacting to this. Now, the quote that was given by the Michigan State University president, I think, was kind of is kind of tone deaf. This morning's news might sound like the MSU of old. It was not probably making reference to Larry Nasser and that sordid, awful sexual assault scandal. But what this does is, A, you should have done something about this before you were pressed to do something about it, right? Because this had been known for months, at least inside the Title IX offices at Michigan State. Now, you don't, I don't want any administration to go messing with the Title IX office in the middle of investigation. But if you know about it, you should say something well before somebody presses you to say something. Second thing about this is we're going to find something out October 5th and 6th when they're scheduled to have hearings about this complaint and what the Title IX investigators, outside investigators have found. Hopefully, we'll get a lot of sunlight on this because sunlight is the best uh, best disinfectant. But this just sucks. I, 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 it's week three. You know, I want people to yell at me for overreacting to Colorado. I want people to to put Florida State in the college football playoff before they win an ACC championship. I don't want to be talking about this. This sucks. Northwestern, the hazing scandal. This sexual harassment scandal at Michigan State. Art Briles on a sideline. <laughs> These are avoidable. Washington State and Oregon State got to sue the Pac-12 for a restraining order because they don't want the other members or outgoing members to have a seat at the table. We're doing this stuff in the middle of the season. We got nine months to do all of this noise and crap. Why are we doing this during football season? You know, I, I see it often and I, I need to see it again. I have, we have the longest offseason in sports. We get 12 weeks to show out, to have a great time, to be in each other's company and not talk about this crap. I never thought I would say is it that hard to be a good human? But that's that's what I'm asking now. It's football season. You know, I thought football was supposed to be the thing that purports to teach men life lessons and has that front and center all the time. Faith, family, values. Keep the main thing the main thing. 
I was always taught that football, at least at a college, uh, at a, at a college program, was the main thing. Stay eligible so you can play football. Get your grades so you can play football. Hit your workout so you can play football. Stay out of trouble so you can play football. No, we're here talking about garbage in week three. Let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about my top five true freshmen. All right. So I'm going to five to one on this. And I'm really excited about this list because, well, we spent a lot of time talking about true freshmen early on in the offseason, but not so much going into this season because, frankly, it's been Coach Prime season. Right? And this has been a little bit different for me, at least in the offseason. So I'm glad to see that we could do this in week three. So we're going to go five to one. I'm starting number five. I got Minnesota running back Darius Taylor on the list here. Against Eastern Michigan last week, I watched him go 33 rushes for 193 yards. I don't think you should be led to believe by somebody who did not watch the game that Darius Taylor is RB1 because he is not. That is still Sean Tyler. But Darius in the second half especially was showing out. P.J. Fleck liked him in the spring. We like all our freshmen in the spring is what I think. It's one thing to like them. It's another thing to play them and then for them to vindicate you playing them in an offense that's going to be built around running the football because Ethan Calagmanis can hit dudes who are wide open, but he has to hit them in rhythm, and they probably need to be in one-on-one coverage because it feels like anything else is just going to be a lot for him this season. So you're going to need Darius Taylor as well as Sean Tyler to carry the load for you and to pick up those first downs so that you can keep control of the clock and your defense go out there do what they uh, want to do. To say nothing of when you got dudes like Daniel Jackson, Brevin Spanford, you want to get him the football, and you got to make those opportunities count when you get him the football. Number four on the list, Texas linebacker Anthony Hill, who had six tackles and two sacks in just 22 snaps against Alabama last Saturday. Really love Anthony Hill's game. I love that Pete Kukowski is getting it in. We're finding out how these defensive coordinators are getting their really great defensive talent into the game early and often by not putting a lot on their shoulders going, hey, just stand up in a nine technique and go rush the passer on third down. That's what they did with Harold Perkins last year. It worked just fine. I think if that's what Pete Kukowski is going to do this year with Anthony Hill, you could see a similar breakout performance. I'm saying that Texas linebacker Anthony Hill could be this year what Harold Perkins was for LSU last year. Nothing short of Brian, Brian Kelly calling it a flu game against Arkansas. Number three on the list, USC wide receiver Zachariah Branch, who – Becomes the first player since 2013 at SC to have a kick return, punt return, and receiving TD in the same season. Really outstanding stuff through three games for him. It's a guy that I think, if you're following recruiting like I do, you understand that Branch was going to be that dude, right? Come out of Bishop Gorman, you knew what it was going to be. And I asked Lincoln Riley about Zach Branch, right, at our media days, and he played coy, which is another way of saying, oh, I'm on to something. He don't want to tell me about it. <laughs> that, that means that they got something in store for that boy. And they have. They throw him wide receiver screens, tunnel screens. And Stanford kicked to him three times before he bit him. But that third time, he sure as hell bit him. And he took it all the way back. And it looked easy for the young man. Also has nine catches for 110 yards so far this season. Really cool note. His older brother plays defense, Zion. But his great uncle is Cliff Branch. And the old heads already said, what? Yeah, that Cliff Branch, Oakland Raiders Cliff Branch, that dude is his great uncle. Oh, yeah. All of it makes sense to you now. 
Somebody is go scoot a youngin up on this because it all makes sense when I say, oh, yeah, he related to Cliff Branch. And then number two on the list, UCLA quarterback Dante Moore, who was outstanding against Coastal Carolina in the second half and was outstanding again against San Diego State. Against San Diego State, 17 of 27 or 290 with three tutties. He doesn't have to do more than flip his wrist to get the ball to sail a country mile. He is barely setting his feet and barely launching off his back foot when that ball comes out there like a rocket. It is going to be outstanding and fun to watch this dude develop because Chip Kelly with a quarterback, you, you, none of us want them problems. When he and the quarterback are seeing the same thing and that quarterback is as talented as Dante Moore is, you get Darius Thomas, you get Marcus Mariota, you get outstanding quarterback play, right? From Darren Thomas to, my goodness, I, I'm already forgetting about Dorian Thompson Robinson. My bad, DTR. I know what you meant to UCLA, but to see Dante Moore step in in a big way is huge. And then number one on the list for me, Colorado running back Dylan Edwards. Prime trust a true freshman tailback to carry the load against Texas Christian and Nebraska. He's averaging 5.3 yards per carry, but also 17.9 yards per catch. He's getting them big plays, being explosive. He fumbled the football against Texas Christian, made up for it in the same game. And he is the lead back in a backfield that, frankly, can go forward deep if that's what they want to do. Now, what's even more telling is you feel so good and you're so talented with a guy like Dylan Edwards that you can look at Alton McCaskill the fourth and slowly bring him back. Matter of fact, going back to an earlier segment, there was a Power 5 director personnel who at the time that Anthony uh, Alton McCaskill was looking to transfer would say, why would he want to go there? Don't you have some worries about that offensive line coming off an ACL injury? Why would you want to go behind an unproven offensive line? Never mind that that offensive line got like 81 games played and 69 starts. Three of them dudes is grad transfers. And even so, Prime ain't rushing him back. That dude been in a red jersey. That's a non-contact jersey. They don't have to put him out there because Dylan Edwards has been so good. Same thing is true for Cormani McClain. You're good enough at corner that you can sit the number one cornerback in last year's recruiting class because you got it like that. Same thing with Dylan Edwards. I saw a Notre Dame fan on the tweets when I put this out here. Well, I should say when the number one show account put this out here going, hey, uh, didn't Notre Dame miss on Dylan Edwards? I'm like, I don't know that they missed so much as his youth football coach called him and said, hey, you want to come play football for me? And he said, yes, that's who Dylan Edwards is. And I don't see Prime going out on a limb for any one of his players. All those dudes do is back him up. If he says Travis Hunter can play, guess what? He can play. He said Dylan Edwards was going to make a play against Texas Christian. He made at least four. This is a great list. I'm excited to see how these guys grow up in our sport. We might have them for just the three years, but I'm going to savor every snap they play. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. We will be back on Saturday night following Ohio State versus Western Kentucky and Oklahoma versus Tulsa. I will have plenty to say about that. All right. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Cordaggi. Uh, that is Aaron Schechter directing for us. Social media maven is Javion Duncan. Production assistant is Kiara Santana. Our lead to screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all Saturday. Yes.